Live. Welcome back to the One Two Kentucky Blue Podcast. I am your host, Coach Burlock. Today, my guest is an assistant strength conditioning coach at the University of Kentucky. His name, Coach Stephen Wood. Wood, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Very excited. Awesome. Uh, just like we've been doing with everybody else, I want to start off by just talking about your path as a strength coach. So, you know, where you went to school internships you did before you got to Kentucky and then we'll talk about how your career has uh, evolved since you've been at Kentucky but let's talk about your education first absolutely so I grew up right outside of St. Paul Minnesota I ended up going to college at Carroll University it's a small division three school right outside of Milwaukee pretty much between Milwaukee and Madison I originally when I went to school I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist it was something that as, a, as an athlete growing up in high school and before middle school, I had some injuries and I, I went to see a physical therapist that really inspired me to you know, want to better myself and help people. And so initially going to college, that's what I thought I wanted to do. When I started getting into the more professional aspects of that, doing the shadowing, kind of really diving into what that meant, I realized quickly that really wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with athletes specifically, and I just wanted to work with athletes. So at that point, I started coaching. Um, I met a guy, his name was Todd. He, I was working at... Was that his first or his last name? Todd was his first name. Okay. <laughs> yep. Top, Coach Todd Tesh. Gotcha. Uh, I met him at a, a corporate wellness facility. I was working at GE Healthcare at the time. You know, He looked at me and he said, do you play lacrosse? I'm not sure if I was giving off that vibe or something, but I said, yep. He said, do you want to coach lacrosse with me? And I said, yep. And so that was kind of the start of that. I think I was 21 when I got that first coaching job. Um, I was an assistant men's lacrosse coach. And after that, over the summer, I started working with the strength and conditioning department at the high school. They had a program set up for their football team, and I was writing workouts for our lacrosse team as well. And that's kind of where it evolved from there. I started working with the men's and women's lacrosse team strength and conditioning at the high school level. I fell in love with it. From there, I ended up going back to school at Carroll University to get my master's. So what, would, what did you get your undergrad in? What was your uh, major? My major was exercise science. Okay. I got a psychology minor as well. And so that was kind of the base kinesiology, the science behind the training as well. Um, I got certified right after I got my undergrad, so I got my CSCS certification from the NSCA. And I started kind of coaching there. Um, and then I went back to grad school at Carroll University. So I went and I got an exercise physiology master's with an emphasis in performance and strength and conditioning, which is kind of unique. A lot of exercise physiology programs are very clinically based. Yeah. So they really focus on um, working in a hospital, cardiac rehab, doing stress tests. Um, one thing that was very unique about that program, it was all on performance. So our labs were in the weight room. Our labs were in the biomechanics lab. Our lectures were on programming theories and uh, periodization theories. So I really got to dive in and get my hands deep. And part of that curriculum was coaching as well. So I started working with a couple teams at the Division Two level at Carroll. Um, I was there for two years. And by the end of it, I was 
working with probably four or five teams overseeing that, uh, those groups on my own. You know, I learned a lot in those two years. I was given a lot of freedom. Being at the Division three level, we got a chance to really dive in and get our hands, hands dirty. Made a lot of mistakes, learned a lot of things, but you know, I had great mentorship, great leadership, um, and I came out a better coach for it. Awesome. So let's move on. One thing I think you have a great amount of knowledge on and uh, kind of going back to your time at Carroll when you're getting your master's degree, you were teaching classes. I think you teach very well. And one thing you have brought to our staff is uh, block periodization. Why don't you just start off by just giving a brief overview of what block periodization is and then we'll work into how you use it with our track team. Absolutely. Yeah, block periodization is kind of a a buzzword over the last couple of years and you know there's a lot of information on it but I've really tried to just simplify it as much as possible and explain it to our staff and to our young coaches that come through as well but basically how I kind of interpret block periodization is where when you become a little bit more advanced of an athlete you know the athletes typically that we see at University of Kentucky um, you can't just throw everything at them at one time um, and so the idea is that you have very one or maybe two specific training goals during a period of time. And then you kind of block those on top of each other to build you know, the base characteristics that you need and then that you can develop uh, on top of those to become more powerful and, and, and increase your speed primarily. So uh, one major part of that block periodization is that there's this idea called residual training effect. And basically what that means is that if you are working on maximal strength, let's say for an example, and you're building maximal strength, a lot of times that's what we're doing in the off season. Um, what the research has shown um, through block periodization is that you don't need to specifically train the absolute strength adaptation um, and your body will maintain um, pretty much all of the strength that you had for up to 30 days so you know you can stop your strength window up to 30 days before you would want to necessarily peak for power and speed um, and you'll maintain that base characteristic of absolute strength and then you can go back you know before you lose that residual training effect and go back to that base absolute strength block so you're not necessarily losing anything by changing your training goal um, if you if you time it out right, you can build and then peak and then build and then peak and then continue to do that throughout a career. I think it's a very um, useful and dynamic thing to do in season, especially with a group like track and field where you know we may be competing every other weekend or two weeks on, one week off. It's a very scheduled, um, regimented. Uh, schedule yep. and so it allows us to continue to train in season um, and build and not just maintain our characteristics that we're trying to build um, but actually increase them throughout the season so we're still getting stronger in season we're not we're not maintaining at all if that makes sense absolutely so one thing I failed to mention at the beginning is that you are in charge of our entire track and field team strength and conditioning program Correct. and then you also and that includes everything from throwers to cross country and then you're also in charge of our rifle team as well yep uh both programs have had a great amount of success and i know they contributed that to your hard work 
and everything you do for their program. But let's talk about uh, sprinters and hurdlers. So from a block periodization standpoint, give uh, the people listening kind of an overview on how you use that with uh, that group, sprinters and hurdlers. Absolutely. Um, well, it is also crucial to mention that um, our track and field coaches, you know, a lot of track and field coaches across the country, but our specifically, they may not call it block periodization, but, you know, they kind of run that very similarly with the timeline of what block periodization says about how to maintain residual training effect yeah. and when to, you know, transition from, you know, accumulating strength in um, your base characteristics to power and then to speed. So I'm very fortunate that, you know, our philosophies align up very well. So, you know, essentially when we're in season, you know, we're still training to build maximal uh, strength for a long, for as long as possible. Now we do this, um, we undulate or we kind of vary during the week um, how intense and how much volume that we load on them so that they can still run fast that weekend. Let's say we may have, we're in January, we've got an indoor meet that is important, but you know, our long-term goal is to think about the outdoor national championship, so we still need to build. So, you know, at the beginning of the week on a Monday, we really try to get all of our, our all of our strength work in, um, and then from there we sort of taper off the volume. Um, we're still, you know, Wednesday we're still gonna hit a heavy Olympic lift. We're still gonna, you know, do some single leg work as well, and and continue to build throughout that season. But we just we kind of dose the volume down a little bit so that, you know, they still feel fresh and ready to go. Um, but so we're utilizing full movements at that point. So we use the Olympic lifts a lot. So we're pulling from the floor a lot of that time. Um, we're using snatch, we're using clean, um, and some variations off of those for modified athletes. But for the most part, we're trying to pull off the floor. We're squatting to full depth at this time. Um, we're also doing heavy single leg work about i would say about a month out from our major peak so there's an indoor sec championship that's kind of like our main indoor goal about a month from there we start to change how we do stuff now we don't we don't change the things that we do we just change how we do it and so the goal of our our program kind of changes from absolute strength to building power and explosiveness um, and then increasing our rate of force development so some things that will change from there is we you know we instead of going from the floor we, we we bring the ground up and we kind of pull off a block so right around the knee so that's gonna take stress off the body a little bit but it's still gonna allow them to express high amounts of uh power production um that's it's also bringing the floor up they're gonna have to increase the rate at which they produce that force mm -hmm. so um we're really focusing on that power window. We're trying to, if you look at force velocity curves, we're trying to find that peak area where we get the most power output um, possible. Uh, we're doing the same thing with our squats. And so we will end up going to like more of like a speed type of squat. And we may introduce some um, overloaded plyometrics. Now, one thing that I haven't mentioned is when we're in the weight room with our track and field team, primarily with that group, we're only trying to build neuromuscular characteristics. Um, our track and field coaches are, are developing energy systems, working on sprinting and hurdling technique. That's not something that we're addressing. So 
We're very focused and just trying to build that neuromuscular development. So in terms of that, throughout the entire season, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to increase that power output throughout the whole season so that, you know, we're getting that peak power, you know, 10 days out from our major meet um, while decreasing the neuromuscular stress on the body. So taking the ground up, you know, pulling from blocks is going to take some stress off of the body as well. Um, we've done some things where we, you know, go into partial movements with mm -hmm. our squat. So we may go to a box squat there a little bit um, and try to just follow that power curve and just create as much power as possible. Um, and then about 10 days out from our major peak, what we'll do is we'll pretty much take everything off the body, all the stress that we don't need. So we minimize our accessory work. You know, we'll go just down to our specific core work, um, position stuff or sprinters and hurdlers. Um, we'll go to like a lot of plyos and jumping, a lot of over speed stuff, a lot of band assisted things. You know, the idea is we want to move as fast as possible. I try to explain it to the athletes like speed work. So, you know, just like when you're on the track, when you're doing speed work, you may do a six second sprint and then you may rest for four minutes. You know, it's the same thing in the weight room. Hey, I want you to try to move these speed squats at 30% of your body weight as fast as humanly possible, right? Hit some overspeed jumps with it and then rest. Take some time, let your body fully recover and then do that again, right? It's really important the intent of the movement during these transitional phases and these peaking phases. So we really try to emphasize, hey, it's how you do it, right? Um, I try to explain it to the athletes. They're trying to shave centimeters off their jumps mm -hmm. or they're trying to add centimeters yep. to their jumps and, and shave tenths and hundredths of a second off of their running time. So, you know, bring that mindset into the weight room, right? We can't just walk through this stuff and get it done. You know, the intent of what we're doing is super important when utilizing this kind of system. Awesome. So that's a lot of information. Wood, you did a great job of explaining it. But if those out there listening, if you have any questions or if you want us to dive in a little bit deeper to block periodization and how we use it with our teams here at Kentucky, go ahead and shoot us an email at ukstrength at uky.edu. Once again, the email address is ukstrength at uky.edu. Let's change gears a little bit and let's talk about the sport of weightlifting. So a little bit of background about our staff is ever since – Stephanie Tracy Simmons got on board here at Kentucky in 2002. She brought with her a great amount of knowledge uh, of the sport of weightlifting. She was out at UCLA. Her coach out there was Mike Bergner. And when she got to Kentucky and the people she brought on board, that was Jeff Side, Scott Willis, and then myself, we got really involved in the sport of weightlifting. Um, and then as people have come onto our staff, so that's Bridget Hamill, Hamill uh, Ryan Metzger, uh, they competed at the national level, um, and, and Metzger is still competing in the sport. But when you got on staff, Wood, I would say your technique and your ability to do the Olympic lifts, snatch and clean and jerk, was mediocre at best. Would you agree? At best, yes. And um, you've, you've done a great job of focusing in on your technique uh, training really hard and you you have transformed your body transformed your technique and you are a very solid weightlifter now thank you um, <laughs> you know one thing my first year that I was here that I really appreciate you challenged me was to continue to compete in something you didn't tell me I had to do weightlifting you didn't tell me I had to do anything but you challenged me to continue competing and get into that competitive mindset 
And I really appreciate that. You know, I look back at the times of my life where, you know, maybe I was in a rut or maybe I wasn't like performing or doing the things that I wanted to do as a person. I look back and I, I didn't have a goal. I didn't have a, you know, something that I was working for or training for. Um, and so I really appreciate you instilling that in me and allowing, you know, letting me to train and, and to go to meets and to have our staff pick up the slack um, and allow me to do that. I also think it's made me a better coach. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with track and field, we utilize Olympic weightlifting a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and just like going back to what we said, you know, we're shaving hundredths of a second and cent adding centimeters to our jumps. You know, how we do things is super important. So, you know, I ask my teams to be as technically efficient as possible and to embrace that. A um, myself learning this technique and, and learning the sport of Olympic weightlifting has made me a better coach. The competitive aspect of it has helped me understand the mindset that my athletes are going through on a day-to-day -day basis, um, and I've experienced some hardships that they have too. I've gone through some injuries. Yeah. Um, you know, there's times that I've been have to have to modify my workouts, and, and how that affects the mental side of things. You know, I didn't realize until I went in it and I went through it, and so that you pushing me to do that has really changed me as a coach. So I thank you and I appreciate that. No, I appreciate you saying that. And that's one thing I believe 100% is that when you are coaching the Olympic weightlifting movements with our student athletes here, the better you are and the more you take yourselves yourself through those workouts and you feel what, you know, 90% on a snatch feels like you feel what, you know, jerk overhead, heavy jerk overhead feels like, and you can either coach yourself by videotaping uh, your lips or having a coach. Cause you have a coach, Melissa Jutris, um, that coaches you that writes up your program that you're able to take those cues, everything that you're feeling when you're on the floor performing those lifts on your own, take it back to your athletes, and you can correct a lot of things and develop your coaching eye. Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, it's not even just with Olympic lifting. It's helped me tremendously, but you, know, you also challenged me to work on my speed and agility mm -hmm. when I first got here. I wasn't a great mover. Um, you know, coming out of grad school, I spent a lot of time in chairs studying and, and coaching, but you know, my personal training kind of went to the side. Yeah. When I got here, I would say in no specific area was I an expert at moving, whether it was speed and agility. You know, I was a pretty good squatter, but I was also you know, 25, 30 pounds heavier than I am now. Um, and I'm, I'm hitting the same numbers. Yeah. I'm still working off the same numbers. So, you know, you challenging me like that has transformed myself, that, and that's allowed me to be a better coach, and, and not just with Olympic lifts, but the power lifts as well and that speed and agility working with different groups so um, it's tremendous how much that that little push has turned me into such a different coach yeah. that's awesome uh, let's talk about you mentioned that you've gone through a couple injuries with weightlifting and it's helped you you know be, be a better coach for your athletes because you know the the um how hard that is mentally to get over an injury you hurt your wrist is that right yeah, I hurt my wrist and my hand. It was in the end of October of 2019, so very recently. Um, you know, I was I was warming up. It was my Saturday lift, so it was kind of like a mock meet type of day. Mm. I went through snatch, had a good day. I was going through clean and jerk. I was feeling really confident. Um, I was hitting numbers that, you know, in training that I hadn't hit before, and I was really excited. And I was warming up with, like, 90 kilos, so 100, 100 200 pounds. Uh, pretty light clean and jerk for me, and I wasn't paying attention. 
I went, I caught it in the bottom and I went to dump it in the bottom of a clean, a full squat clean. I went uh-huh. to dump it to do another rep because it was just a warm up set and I wasn't paying attention and my elbow hit my knee. Oh no. And the bar was in my hand and mm-hmm. so I basically bent my whole hand back. And I have, since then, it is what, March of 2020? Yep. And I still am not back at 100% full speed. But you just you just competed at the Arnold's. So what numbers did you hit at the Arnold's? So at the Arnold, I snatched 96 kilos. That's got to be up there for your best competition snatch. My best competition snatch is, is 100. Oh, is it? So um, right below it. I, I was very very happy with that performance. Snatch is something that I've had the most difficulty coming back from mm. um, with the injury. I've widened up my grip, and so it puts a lot of pressure on my hand mm-hmm. um, in that extended position, and so everything has been very painful. So I've had to tape my hand a special way in order to compete. And to be honest, like in my training, I really only had five weeks of real training before this meet, and I hadn't hit anything over 90 kilos in that entire training cycle. Oh, really? So it was a little bit of a little bit of a, I'm not sure what it was, but you know. On game day, I seem to kind of come in and, and just get the job done. It's something that, you know, that energy and that adrenaline and that, and that spotlight, yep. you know, has really kind of just pushed me. And I opened at 90 kilos. I almost missed it. Threw it over my head. I got it. Calmed down a little bit. And then I, I just was, I stuck to the plan. We had a plan. I was going to hit 93 and then 96. And I stuck to the plan. And I got great coaches that were there helping me. And, and we got the job done. So let's talk about your coaches. You have Melissa Jutris and kind of talking full circle is Coach D and I used to run like a CrossFit weightlifting group out of Shively back in the day. And Melissa was one of our, our, our first, I think she was, you know, member number three for us. So she had a little bit of a weightlifting background before she started working out with D and I. Uh, she's a great friend to our program, but she has thus since that time opened up her own gym, Big Blue Strength. Um, and that's who coaches you? Yep. So, you know, I spent about the first year and a half. I had known Melissa. I was bringing clients to her gym and helping her out. It's a very local gym in Lexington. Yep. It's about a, about a mile from our facilities here. So I had known her, and, you know, I was getting the weightlifting. I was coaching myself. And at that point, I realized, hey, I can't, I can't do this on my own if I want to get better. So I was like, Melissa, would you train me and coach me, please? And she was more than happy to she is such an awesome person, and you know, she runs a great facility out there. And I'm just so happy that she takes the time to to coach me, to watch my videos, to travel with me. She traveled with me yep. to the Arnold, which is a three and a half hour drive to Columbus. And she um, has a two year old at home. Did Joey a, come with her? Joey did not come oh. with, um, but they left him in Cincinnati. But he's been at the Arnold a, uh, a couple times oh, actually. Yep. My mom held him in her arms at, at one of at the first meet when he was very very young. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And two years ago, he was there on the platform in the back with uh, with the dowel doing lifting doing lifting before the uh, meeting had started. It was pretty adorable. That's super cool. And then Melissa is also the coach for Ryan Metzger as well. So Metzger was a former GA strength coach for us, and she's now currently a strength coach at Clemson. So. Clemson's not right down a mile down the road like it is, so Melissa's kind of uh, stretching her coaching adventures uh, across this across this great nation. Yep, she, uh, she she's she's awesome. She she puts a lot of heart and soul and, and a lot of her time into it, and and I know how thankful that we all are that she's willing to do that. And 
you know, Metzger's, she's a dang good lifting, lifter. Yep. Um, you know, I think she started lifting with you. Correct? Exactly. I mean, she, she was a lot like you. She um, didn't really have an Olympic weightlifting background. She was a gymnast at Wisconsin Oshkosh. So when she got here, uh, we had to work really hard and she worked really hard to improve her technique just like you did. But she's, she's throwing up some great numbers right now. So I don't know what her Instagram handle is, but she posts all of her training sessions and she, she's developed into a really strong, technically sound lifter. Yeah, she's, she's unbelievable. I love watching her video. She, she pushes herself and she's doing it at such a high level. She's a nationally ranked weightlifter. Mm -hmm qualified for nationals and, and American Open finals, which is the two hardest meets in the United States to qualify for. She's doing that while on top of being a full-time strength coach at Clemson. Yep. So, you know, it's pretty remarkable stuff. So let's switch gears once again. So we've talked about your path as a strength coach, block periodization, the sport of weightlifting, but we're going to dive into a hobby of yours that developed um, probably six months ago, maybe about a year ago, oh, about a year ago. I have no idea how you got into this, but you decided that you love sourdough bread. I did. Um, it's kind of an interesting story. It's nothing too fancy, but you know, if you've ever gotten on Instagram or Facebook and gotten down those rabbit holes of like looking up something or even on YouTube, that's exactly what happened to me. I found this page that just posted the most beautiful loaves of bread and I don't know why I, I, I like bread just as much as everybody else I don't think I have an obsession with it I think at the time I was eating more rice than I was bread yeah but, you know I just found these pages of just beautiful loaves of bread <laughs> and it's their works of art and that's kind of how I got into it and I found this Facebook group and I joined it and everyone was posting about sourdough bread specifically and, and how to start a how to start your own starter, how to maintain it. There was so much useful information on there that I was like, hey, I just want to try this. Yep. Um, and so a couple of tr attempts to start a sourdough starter failed. Um, and I think I finally got it going in May of last year. And so basically what it is is it, when you're baking, you're not using dry commercial yeast. And so you build literally a culture of flour and water and you let it grow. And it develops into yeast. Wow. And then you keep it in a jar, either in your fridge or on your counter, and it just grows. And you have to feed it um, once a week to once a day, depending on like what you're doing. Yeah. But you feed it, and then you use that, that culture to, and you add it in with more flour and water and salt instead of, you know, dried commercial yeast, and, and then you bake bread. So it's a, uh, you know, I'd never baked before this. I love cooking. My family's Italian. Yeah, so. you're a really good cook. Well, thank you. Um, I love to cook. It's one of it was one of my hobbies, but I was always scared of baking. You know, I was always scared of hey, you know, it's very exact. There's a lot of ins and outs to it. But once I got started, I realized that that kind of like pleased my scientific side of my brain. You know, I'm very. I, that's one thing about you know programming and strength and conditioning. I love is like hey, you know, the steps and the reps behind it, how you can manipulate it, the outcomes that you'll get. It's kind of the same with baking bread. You know, you can follow a recipe, but I've kind of gotten off of traditional recipes and kind of played around and done what I've liked and, and messed around with it. And, and I've had a lot of success and I've had a lot of fun doing it too. So every now and then, about once a week, I usually bring in a couple loaves of bread. Yeah. Um, share them with the staff. We enjoy it because it's really good bread. Yeah. And so that's, 
it's it's an interesting how I got into it, but you know, it's something that you know I can go home and kind of decompress. I, I feel like as a strength coach, we spend so much time at work and so much time in the weight room, yeah. and then you know, I go I go out or I, I go out and talk to people in the community, and they ask me what I do, and I tell them, and you know, in Kentucky, you know. UK athletics is so important. That's all people want to talk about. And so I feel like sometimes I just go and go and go on strength and conditioning um, that it's nice to have a break of something that has nothing to do with strength and conditioning. Yes. Um, you know, found a little bread community that, you know, we share stories and all that kind of stuff with and, and, and learn and teach each other. And, and it's kind of a nice little break um, and a stress reliever for me because, you know, it's, it's a process. You know, you got... It, you start, it's about a 36-hour process to make a loaf the way that I've been doing it. And so, you know, it, it's you, you kind of start at one time, you let it rest, and then you come back to it. You use your hands a lot. Um, it's something that you kind of build by yourself. And, you know, it's, you know, I like working with my hands. I like doing things like woodworking and stuff like that mm-hmm. as well. But, you know, it's something that you can work in your, work, start from scratch, work with your hands, and do it all yourself, and, and kind of have an end product that you can be proud of. So I, I love it. I think that is a good message to any young strength coach out there listening is that you have to have something that that helps you out mentally to get your mind off strength and conditioning and athletics. And like I know D hunts and fish, BMAC loves to hike, um, and you with sourdough on top of, you know, all the other things that we do, but always have something that you're able to do reset your mind, get your mind off strength and conditioning so you can, um, you know, you don't get bogged down and burnt out in this profession. But let's, let's finish real quick. Tell me something that you are either listening to or reading to on your own to just develop you as a person or a professional. Um, what I'm reading right now, so I just ordered um, Matt Van Dyke's isometric book. Um, so we read Horses, Horses King, King okay. last yep. semester. Um, and it kind of alluded to like a, a prequel to that book. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know the exact name of it, but it's like understanding isometrics, I think. So I just ordered that. So that should be in later this week. That awesome. I'm excited to start reading. Um, 52 Lessons is, is a book that BMAC recommended to me. I think it's 47 Lessons. Um, I don't know. I'm not all the way down. I'm about 22. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but it's, it's a, 59, 59. Yep. Um, and then I've just ordered the new Jocko Williams book. Gotcha. As well. So um, that's something that you know I want to get in. I think it's strategies and field tactics yep. manual. Um, I've read his other books as well. So that's something that I want to dive into as well. Um, awesome. Recently. But listening, I try to listen to, you know, kind of going back to like having stuff outside. I try to listen to a lot of comedy podcasts. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I like to read about strength and conditioning, and I like to listen about things that, that aren't strength and conditioning. So I'm not listening to a ton of strength and conditioning podcasts right now at the moment. Um, but, you know, I, I really try to push myself. I think every year people say that they want to read more in January. Um, I've actually held on to it. You know, we're only three months in, but I've, I've gotten through three books already. And so that's, you know, a lot for me on top of everything that we do. So... I'm excited to kind of get those books in and get some momentum and, and keep reading on those so that I can be a better coach and I can hopefully bring some of that stuff to our staff. That's awesome. So let's go ahead and close it out. If anybody listening has any feedback, comments, or questions for us, like I mentioned before in the podcast, please don't hesitate to email us at ukstrength at uky.edu. Appreciate you being on the podcast, Wood. Thanks, Brock. I appreciate it. Go Cats.
Go Cavs.